What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. John chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 26. Let me open this up in another word of prayer. Dear Father, tonight as we read your word, hear about the son that you sent to die for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to long for the living water that only you provide. Father, I pray that you would awaken hearts and minds to long for you and find satisfaction in your son, Jesus. I pray that I wouldn't speak anything that would be contrary to your word, but Father, that you would speak through me and that you would make hearts alive, you would strengthen and encourage hearts, and you would do all of this for your glory. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when, when I was in seminary, I was having a f- problem with my phone. I was having a really weird problem with my phone that I could not figure out. I, I was missing every call and every text that I got. I'd be working or studying And I would go to check my phone just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And I would have missed calls and missed texts that I never felt. I couldn't feel my phone ringing. I couldn't feel it vibrating. I I didn't know what was wrong with my phone. I couldn't figure out the source of my problem. But even though I didn't try very hard to find the source of my problem, eventually I figured out, what it was. And it was because of my sweet wife, Bailey, who I was dating at the time. I started complaining to her, you know, I I keep missing calls. I don't know what's wrong. It just shows up missed call, but I never felt it ring. And so Bailey very kindly, very politely says, well, John, it's because you have do not disturb set on your phone. (laughs) And so I'm oblivious at this point. I'm like, do not disturb. What is, what do you mean? What is that? And she points to my phone. She says, you know, that little, that little half crescent moon, that means your phone is on do not disturb. And uh, I'll never live this down. I looked at her and I said, oh, I thought that moon was like telling me what phase of the moon the moon was in tonight. <laughs> and uh, Bailey never lets me forget that I did that. She never lets me forget that I said that. Once I turned my phone, once I turned that setting on my phone off, my phone was back to normal. It worked perfectly. But the point is, is that I could not have fixed that without getting to the source of the problem. I, I couldn't find a solution without knowing what the source of the problem was. And I think it's similar to what we see in John 4. Our deepest 
And our greatest problem as people is really not just our surface level physical needs, although God cares about those. But rather, we have a deep spiritual need that only God can solve. You see, because of our sin, we actually deserve judgment and death. Our greatest need is that we need a righteousness that we can't achieve. And we need forgiveness from God. We need what Jesus calls the living water that wells up into eternal life. And so that's why I want us to see tonight from John chapter 4 that since Jesus is the source of living water, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. I'll say that one more time. Since Jesus is the source of living water, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And there's two ways I want to break that down for us tonight. The first is I want us to recognize the greatness of Jesus. The first way that we worship God in spirit and in truth is to recognize the greatness of Jesus. But secondly, I want us to see that we should also recognize the identity of Jesus. So we worship God in spirit and in truth by recognizing the greatness of Jesus and recognizing the identity of Jesus. Let's read John chapter 4, verse 1 through 26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The, wo the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshiper, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the last time that I taught, we were in John chapter 3, and we were looking at Jesus and Nicodemus and their interaction. And when we come to John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving Judea and going to Galilee, and he's passing through Samaria. And, and while passing through Samaria, the Bible says that Jesus was tired. He was wearied by his journey. So he stopped at Jacob's well. But this isn't just like some guy named Jacob, right? This is the Jacob of Israel. You know, Isaac's son, Jacob. We read about him in Genesis. You, you know, the one who tricked Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. That, that Jacob, trickster Jacob. But even if you aren't familiar with the story of Jacob, what you need to know is that by this time, he's a major figure in the Old Testament and in Israel. And so Jesus stops at this well, Jacob's well, and there alone, comes a Samaritan woman to draw water from the well. And this is normal activity, right? She's there, and Jesus actually asks her for a drink. But she is shocked, right? She's shocked that this Jewish man would ask her for a drink because at this time, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. It even puts a note there for us in the text so that we know what's going on. Why is this a big deal? Well, it's because the Samaritans at this time were actually people of a mixed racial and ethnic heritage. 
So you have northern Israel, and when they're taken over by the Assyrians, some of the Jews that were in northern Israel actually stayed behind, and some of them fled. Well, the ones that stayed behind, they stayed and they married the Assyrians, and they had children with the Assyrians, and eventually it just became one people, the Samaritans. And they were considered by the Jews who had fled impure and unfaithful to God. And so most Jews tried to keep their distance from Samaritans. They didn't eat with them. It would be unclean. And they certainly didn't accept water from them. Samaritans had their own copy of the Old Testament at the time. They had a separate temple for worship. It was even on a different mountain. So this woman here, realizing that it's strange for Jesus to ask her for water, she starts to question him. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds by saying if that she knew who he was, she would ask him for water. And that he would have given her living water. Now, we kind of already know from reading to the end of uh, verse 26, spoiler alert, living water has a spiritual meaning. But even in the Old Testament, living water has this spiritual meaning. But I want us to look at that just a little bit later. For now, I want us to stick to this conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. Because even though we wouldn't ask somebody for a cup of living water today, that would be weird, right? Back then, living water just meant water from a fresh source, a spring or a river. So when Jesus asks for when Jesus tells this woman that he has living water, excuse me, she's not necessarily thinking that living water is something special. It's like if I told you I had a bottled water. You wouldn't think that that was special. You'd be like, okay, can I have it? Where is it? And that's kind of her response. You're saying you have this living water, but I'm at Jacob's well. It's a well named after him, and I don't see your well anywhere. So are you greater than Jacob? She doesn't understand, right? And it's, it's really cool, the similarities between this Samaritan woman and Nicodemus, right? They, they both hear Jesus speaking of a spiritual reality, but they still think he's speaking of physical things. And so... We know that Jesus meant more than that, but she doesn't know this yet. She wants to know if Jesus has discovered a source of living water as great as Jacob, that would make him pretty special. I mean, they were still using the one that Jacob discovered. And so she asked him, are you greater than our father Jacob. But Jesus here doesn't stop pressing this woman 
This Samaritan woman that he is offering living water to. It's not a coincidence that Jesus offers living water to this woman. And so we get to the point where the woman is asking Jesus if, she's, if he's greater than Jacob. And really, this is like a, uh, it's really a gotcha question, right? It's like, what, are you greater than Jacob? But the interesting thing here is that Jesus answers. And the short and shocking answer that Jesus gives is yes. Not only is Jesus greater than Jacob, but the water that he brings is greater. See, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that the water that he brings is not physical water, but spiritual water. The prophet Jeremiah relayed this rebuke from God to Israel in Jeremiah 2, 13. That's what Jeremiah said. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So you see, when Jesus is referring to this living water that he's offering as a spiritual drink, he's not drawing this out of thin air. Did you see that in Jeremiah? God refers to himself as living water. And so when we see Jesus offering living water here, it's, it's not a coincidence Jesus knew and intended to make this connection between himself and God the Father. Jesus, God of very God, is able to offer us relationship with the triune God because he is God. And just like this woman was offered living water from Jesus... Jesus offers himself to us as living water. He offers himself to us as eternal life with God. Jesus offers himself as soul nourishment that springs forth from God himself. And the result of partaking in this water is eternal life. See, what Jacob provided physically, it was meant to foreshadow what Jesus would provide spiritually. A never-ending source of spiritual refreshment from God. And Jesus can promise this because he is God. Jesus is greater than Jacob. The answer to the Samaritan woman's question is yes. And it's because of what he brings is greater. But not only that, it's because of who he is that he is greater. Jesus brings something that's of infinite 
worth, the presence, the power, and the provision of God. You know, during the holidays, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but during Christmas and Thanksgiving time, usually it's normal for one person to really make the main dish, and then everybody else kind of brings side dishes. But usually there's that one dish that after everybody takes their first bite of it, they're like, wow, who brought this? Who brought the macaroni and cheese? It's hidden today. And you know, if it's you that brought it, you're like, oh man, I'm feeling good about myself, right? Everybody's talking about my dish. Nobody's talking about your dish. They're talking about my dish, right? And so it's awesome when that's what you brought. And whoever brings it, they get this esteem from everyone. They get this honor from everyone. And I think it's a similar thing to what we're seeing here in John chapter 4. Jesus is greater because what he brings is greater. But Jesus tops this because not only does what he bring, is what he brings greater, but it's because also of who he is. And we have to recognize Jesus for who he is and what he brings. And one thing that this means is that Jesus being the living water, it means that Jesus is the source of life. See, as, as human beings, we all desire life. Like, I'm not even talking about life abundantly. I'm just talking about to live and breathe. If you've ever had a near-death experience, all you want in that moment is to continue to live. Every human being desires life. Every, every human being fears death. As much as we hear the phrase, death is natural, it's a natural part of life, death is not natural. That's not what the Bible teaches. Death is a part of the curse that Adam brought on humanity. And Jesus, the Son of God, has broken the power of death. He, he has defeated death and he offers himself as living water that wells up into eternal life. And so if you are here tonight and you fear death, there's one that you can run to who offers life. His name is Jesus. And if you put your trust in this Jesus, you will be resurrected to new life just like he was. But if you're a Christian here tonight, maybe, maybe you don't fear death. Maybe you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. You're looking forward to that resurrection. Another thing that this text means for us is, as the living water, Jesus is the satisfier of our deepest longings. Jesus is the source of living water because he is God. And through Jesus, we have access to God, who the psalmist says in his presence is the fullness 
of joy. And at his right hands are pleasure evermore. If you want true and deep satisfaction in this life, you must look to God in Jesus. He provides eternal life, soul-satisfying water. You know, sinful pleasures like sexual immorality and drunkenness, they, they all really try to market themselves like they provide deep satisfaction. But, but they never deliver, right? And it's because they are offered by a liar, by Satan himself who would seek to deceive you into thinking pleasure can be found in rebelling against God, but they are never found there. But you see, as we see Satan as this perpetual liar, we also see the God of the Bible as a perpetual fulfiller of promises. And so when Jesus offers this living water for your soul, you can bet that what he offers is satisfying. So run from the deceitful pleasures and run to the God who satisfies. The first thing I wanted us to see is that Jesus is greater. He's greater than Jacob. We, we need to recognize that Jesus is greater, but I also want us to see what the Samaritan woman is eventually told here. I want us to see that if we're to worship God in spirit and in truth, we need to also recognize the identity of Jesus. So after Jesus kind of explains what kind of living water he has to offer, the Samaritan woman asks for it. But she still really doesn't get that Jesus is meaning spiritual water. But Jesus helps her understand at this point. And he does it in a way that's a little bit unexpected. He does it by supernaturally exposing this woman's sin. She tells, he, he tells the woman that she's had five husbands. And the one that she's living with now is not her husband. And so, awestruck, th this woman is finally understanding that who she's speaking with might actually be special after she asked him if he was greater than Jacob. So she kind of begins to press him a little bit. She's like, oh, this guy's a prophet. Let me get my questions answered. So she asks him the, the, the most important and pressing theological question of her day. Which is the correct mountain to worship Jesus on? Because the Samaritans worshiped Jesus, or worshiped God, rather. I don't think any of them worshiped Jesus yet. The Samaritans worshiped God on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews performed worship in Jerusalem. So she's wondering, okay, we have this split, this theological rift. Who is right? 
Because somebody isn't worshiping God the right way. God's not pleased with someone's worship. So this matters to her. And this refers back to the point I made earlier about the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. They both claimed that where they worshiped God was the right location. So the Samaritan woman is looking to get her questions answered because she sees this supernatural gift in Jesus that he knows everything about her life. And what does Jesus say? Well, I think it's interesting that Jesus says that actually the Jews are right on this point. They actually have the tradition that is correct. But then Jesus says something interesting. He says, but soon it won't matter. Because there's coming a time when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. But what does that mean? Well, I think it means that what Jesus is referring to here is the ending of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant. We talked about a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Jesus and Nicodemus' interaction that in Jeremiah 31, 31, God declares that there's a day coming when he'll make a new covenant with Israel. And Jesus here says that those days are very, very soon. And this new covenant that God will declare with his people, Jesus will shed his own blood for. Instead of bulls and goats and lambs being sacrificed, Jesus once and for all would die for the sins of all. You see, what Jesus is saying is that in the new covenant, you won't have to worship God in a specific location, in a specific country, on a specific mountain. You see, because God's presence and the worship of God in the new covenant won't be limited to a temple that only the high priest could enter. Eventually, we'll learn that Every believer in Jesus is a priest and is a temple. So you see, in the Old Testament, there were literal priests and temples. And when Jesus comes with his new covenant, he says, my believers are priests and temples. 1 Corinthians 6.19 puts it this way. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's you, believer. A temple and a priest. And what Jesus is pushing at and pointing here is that new covenant worship is not confined to a specific nation or ethnic group or mountain. But instead, new covenant worship is a life of sacrifice and devotion to God through forgiveness 
in Christ Jesus. I'll say that again. New covenant worship is a life of sacrifice and devotion to God through forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And this is what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. But it's so interesting. We see this parallel between the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. She still doesn't understand. Either that or she doesn't like what Jesus has to say because she basically answers Jesus by saying, well, that sounds cool, but when the Messiah gets here, he's going to tell us what the right theology is. And thank you for your time, sir. She says, when the Messiah gets here, he'll tell us all things. And look how Jesus answers her in his mercy. I who speak to you am he. Jesus is the Messiah. And bringing a new covenant, he makes the old obsolete. And we worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, I saw a really funny story with a picture on the internet a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was a really famous rapper. And he was in a department store just shopping for clothes, as rappers do. Very expensive clothes. And an older lady kind of walked in, right? And she kind of walks up to him not knowing who, she, who he is. And uh, she says, excuse me, young man, could you pull up your pants, please? So he turns around and he kind of says, uh, do you know who I am? She says, no. So he does something that I think is really funny and really, really cool. He takes a picture with her, right, on her phone. And he says, show this picture, text this picture to your grandkids. They'll know who I am. So probably kind of embarrassed, she's like, okay. She takes a picture with him, sends it to one of her nephews. And so the nephew posts the picture online, and it goes viral because the story is hilarious. And here's a picture of a famous rapper with some older lady that has no idea who he is. And it's kind of similar to what we see in John chapter 4, isn't it? Jesus is the Messiah, but he isn't recognized. And if we want to worship God in spirit and in truth, we must recognize his son that he sent to die for us. If we want to worship God in spirit and in truth, we must recognize his son that he sent to die for us. Most of the time when we think of worship, we think of singing songs to God or about God. And that is, that is an aspect of worship. But I think that the Bible's portrait of worship is much fuller and much richer. You know, singing to God is a form of worship, but actually all of our lives show what we worship. 
Romans 12.1 says that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is our spiritual service of worship. And Paul goes on to say in Romans, we do this by not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our minds. So really, as we see new covenant worship, as we come to this eternal life spring that Jesus offers after he makes the old covenant obsolete, we, we see it's, it's a life of being less and less pulled by our sinful desires and, and being like the world and being more and more like Christ. And, and this is what sanctification is. This is the work that the Holy Spirit empowers you to achieve day by day by day. And so, like I said earlier, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a new covenant priest. And what was the priest's job? It was to come before God and represent the people. But now as a believer in Jesus, you have direct access to God as he sprinkles you clean by his blood and makes you a priest. If you're a believer tonight, you are made a temple of God, full of God, full of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 12 tells us that because of this, we're to worship God with our entire life. Sometimes it's easier to think of this from an opposite direction, right? You think, how do I worship God with all of my life? But if we think about the opposite of worshiping God with all of our life, we, we, we would think about worshiping idols. Idol worship is forbidden in all of scripture. And while we might not carve something out of wood or stone and bow down to it, we, we all have things in our life that would consume our mind and affections. What do we spend too much of our time thinking about, too much of our time worrying about, too much of our money on? It could be your, your, your self-image or your career aspirations or your grade or whatever good thing that God has given you that you worship instead of Him. When we think about it that way, we start to get a picture of what it might look like to worship God with our entire life. Throw off idols and worship the true and living God in spirit and in truth. This Jesus that offers himself as the living water is offering to you satisfaction of the deepest measure. Would you come to him? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for making us able 
to come to you in faith when you give us a heart that can believe. Father, I pray that we would not search after things that wouldn't satisfy, but that, Father, we would continue to search hard after you, after the living water that you provide through your son, Jesus. I pray that you would stir in us a desire, like the psalmist says, that we would pant and thirst after you. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name.